0: We'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin this morning looking at a very critical passage in light of what we talked about last week uh, regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to look at verses 18 through 21, Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the role that the Spirit plays in our lives. And there's no need for even us to talk about him in the second or third person. He He is. We can speak directly to you, Holy Spirit. We're grateful for your person and your work. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we grieve and quench you and when we misinterpret you and misapply you and we desire to understand who you are and what you do and how you work in our lives even better this morning. And so we ask that your Spirit, that, that, that you, your Holy Spirit, would illuminate us to this and help us understand this text and, and how it applies to our lives and how it really is, is so critical for the way we live our lives every day in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Last Sunday, if you were here, you know in our study of John, we learned about the way the Holy Spirit works in the world and how the Holy Spirit works in the church. And Jesus' instruction on the Holy Spirit's role as reprover and revealer, uh, producing conviction in unbelievers and providing comprehension for believers, uh, is extremely helpful in light of all the conflicting and confusing beliefs and practices in the church today regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We said probably no uh, member of the Trinity uh, is, is more misunderstood, misapplied uh, than the Holy Spirit. Uh, and a number of key passages in the New Testament are about the Holy Spirit are often misinterpreted, often misapplied by those who have a more emotional or uh, uh, mystical or experiential or sensational view of how the Spirit works and manifests Himself. And no passage has been more used and abused when it comes to defending some of the bizarre beliefs and practices within the charismatic slash Pentecostal movement than Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And unfortunately, what has happened is that many Christians have a distorted view of the most important ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And if there's any verse about the work of the Holy Spirit that we want to get right, it's this one because it's so foundational to a biblical understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And and the critical ministry of the Holy Spirit that Paul referred to in this passage and that I'm referring to is the filling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, And whether you realize it or not, The filling of the Holy Spirit is probably the most important aspect of the Holy Spirit for you to understand as a Christian. And here Paul explained what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, how how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? And so I want to ask you a very basic question this morning, and I want to just ask you to please answer by raising your hand. No one's going to judge you. You're not going to be graded, okay, uh, or judged, right? Uh, But just answer this question, just the first thing that comes to your mind, I want you to to, to raise your hand, okay? Here it is. Ready? How many of you consider yourself to be a spirit-filled Christian? Raise your hand. Okay, good. I'm seeing lots of hands. That's encouraging, all right? Now, that seems like a simple enough question, right? Yet, there may have been some hesitation in your heart about that. Well, is spirit-filled... Yeah, I guess so. Everybody else is raising their hand, right? Um, I would I would submit to you that the hesitation that you may have felt there in answering that question is a result of not clearly understanding what it means to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you who raised your hand thinking that you're filled with the Spirit or that you're Spirit-filled, aren't. And there are some of you, maybe, who didn't raise your hand because you're not sure if you're Spirit-filled, really, but you are and you just don't realize it. That's how confusing this is. There's a ton of disagreement and debate among Christians today regarding what it really means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is generally used to describe someone who has a really close walk with God. Man, they're a Spirit-filled Christian, right? Um, It's often assumed that when someone is Spirit-filled, they've achieved some kind of higher level of spirituality than the average believer. Well, you're a Spirit-filled Christian and you're not, as if there was one or the other, right? Right? Typically, the filling of the Spirit is equated with things like speaking in tongues, getting slain in the Spirit, seeing visions, hearing the voice of God, performing miracles, uh, performing signs and wonders, all sorts of other supernatural phenomenon. That's typically what's equated with a manifestation of that person's Spirit-filled. I'll never forget when I was a student at the Master's College in in, in Los Angeles area, I went with a bunch of other students. They wanted to encourage us to kind of get out out of the box, out of the bubble, and go check out some other churches on Sunday mornings. And so me and some friends went down to a Pentecostal church down in the heart of L.A., and uh, I knew that we were in for an interesting time the moment I walked in the foyer and I saw a first aid room. I was like, I've never been in a church where there was a first aid room, like a big cross first aid. It said first aid. I'm like, whoa, what is going on in this church that they need a first aid room? Well, sure enough, the service got going and people started getting all revved up and they were hooping and hollering. And the next thing I know, there's some lady coming down the aisle doing the chicken walk, man. She was doing her thing and she was going down the aisle and she was, I'm going, whoa. And, 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 and next thing you know, she was on the floor shake it around, and here comes these guys in white coats with white gloves. I just remember that. It's so funny. White white coat, white gloves, and they come running down, and they pick her up, and they cart her back to the first aid room. And I'm like, okay, now I know what the first aid room's for. Now, I, I say that because in the minds of the members of that church, here was a woman who had been filled with the Holy Ghost, right? She had been filled with the Holy Ghost, which caused her to lose control of herself to the point where she had to get carted out of the service to the first aid room. And I think it's interesting, I mentioned this last week, that one of the nine fruits of the Spirit is, what? Self-control. So the Spirit doesn't ever get you out of control, He helps you get under control. And yet many charismatic worship services end up wildly out of control and they, they attribute this all to the Holy Spirit filling the place where they're meeting. And, and, and listen, we don't ever have to pray for the Spirit to fill this place. Because if you're here and you're Christians, the moment you walked into this place, the Spirit filled this place. Because the Spirit's not in this building, right? The Spirit's in you. And so whenever there's believers gathered to worship, the Spirit's already there. He doesn't have to be invited to come. And I think the saddest thing to me about people who get kind of caught up in this charismatic Pentecostal movement is they never truly experience, or rarely, how about that, rarely ever experience the long-term, life-changing benefits and blessings of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they experience a fake imitation of the real thing. It's a counterfeit. Years ago, uh, Hank Hanegraaff wrote a very helpful book called counterfeit revival and it was kind of in the same genre of charismatic chaos and strange fire it's called counterfeit revival and that was his point that this is what what a lot of people in the church today are experiencing is a a, a, an imitation of the real thing it's a counterfeit and so all they know about is this shallow short-lived emotional experience that wears off as soon as they leave the service And I shared this with the second service. I didn't share it last week with you, but it it reminds me of the story of Cinderella. We all love the story of Cinderella, right? The Cinderella story. We talk about that. Well, what happens to Cinderella? She gets zapped by the fairy godmother, and, and her life was totally transformed, and she had this wonderful time for a few hours at the ball, but on her way home, she ends up back in the very same condition that she was in before the ball. As soon as that magic wore off, She's back sitting on a pumpkin in an old torn dress with a horse and a dog and a bunch of mice scurrying around. And that, I think, is a lot of ways what it's like to go to these services and you get all pumped up, hyped up, and it's like you're in this fairy world, right? And then you leave and and then shortly after that, it just kind of wears off and you got nothing to sustain you, right, for your daily Christian life. God never intended for us as Christians to have to go from one Cinderella experience to another in order to maintain our walk with Him. He never expected our spiritual life to be like a roller coaster, up and down and all around. He's provided us a much simpler way to maintain a steady, consistent walk with Him that will last over time, over a lifetime, and it's called the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with a series of one-time emotional experiences, but rather it involves a daily surrender of our entire lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not a special, spectacular thing that, that happens to us every once in a while if we're lucky, right? If we're, in the, you know, if we're in the right mindset, if we have enough faith, right? No, it's something that should be happening to, happening to us all the time, every day, and even every moment of every day. Charles Ryrie said this in his survey of Bible doctrine. He said, From the perspective of daily living and vital Christian experience, the filling of the Holy Spirit is undoubtedly the most important aspect of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is, he says, the pure essence of true spirituality and the basic requirement for growth and maturity. And so in light of how significant the the filling of the Spirit is to the Christian life, it's imperative that we have a crystal clear understanding of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how it happens. But before we get to that, and before we look into this text here, I I just, again, feel like I want to just give you a little reminder here uh, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a whole. And as Ryrie stated so well that the filling of the Holy Spirit is just one aspect of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're kind of breaking out one. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. They call it pneumatology. And, and there's, let, let's zero in, break it out, one aspect of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that. But, but just generally speaking, when you talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? Well, we are smack dab in the middle of it in John chapter 15, 14, 15, and 16, because on the night before Jesus died, during this farewell discourse to his disciples in the upper room, this is where he promised for the first time that after he left, he would send someone else to help them carry out the mission that he had entrusted to them. And so we, we've been learning in John 14, uh, John 15, John 16, that he was going to, Jesus promised to send a Helper. The parakletos, the paraclete, one who comes alongside to help, to support. Uh, he's the helper. He's the comforter. And so here in John 15, 14, 15, 16, in the upper room, we are introduced to the, to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And this is really the, where it all begins here, uh, where we are in, in John, uh, in the upper room. And so we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not some mystical, impersonal force, but He's a person. He's the third member of the Trinity, equal to God the Father and the Son in every way. And again, they all serve one another, and in the same way that the Son submits to the Father to do His work, right? the Spirit submits to Christ to do His work, and they all work together in perfect harmony. And Jesus said, as we were reminded last week, that it was better for Him to go back to heaven so that His temporary earthly presence could be replaced with the permanent abiding presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's better for us to live now, 2,000 years after Jesus came and went back to heaven, right? Because we have the permanent abiding presence of the Spirit in us. Instead of having Jesus beside us, we got Jesus in us, right? And so before Jesus ascended back to heaven... He reminded the disciples of the promise that he made about the Holy Spirit's powerful presence in their lives, and and in Luke, uh, Luke chapter twenty four, uh, as part of the Great Commission, uh, this is what uh, Jesus said, Luke twenty four verse forty nine. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And then, of course, we see this. Uh, actually, come to fulfillment in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, when they had come together, they were asking him, Say, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said, No, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed his own authority, but this is all you need to worry about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In other words, I'm not setting up my kingdom the way you guys want me to. I'm out of here, but I'm leaving you to set up my kingdom through evangelism and through the gospel and through the Great Commission. And so Jesus' promise, we know, was fulfilled at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and baptized and filled the disciples as they were meeting together in the, in the upper room, we see that in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and has filled and filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each of them and they were filled all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance and then of course Peter had to explain to the people what this phenomenon was that they were seeing And he said in verse 33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. In other words, what you're witnessing is the fulfillment of the promise that Christ made to us that the Father was going to send us the Spirit. And so ever since Pentecost, every person... Who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is instantly baptized by the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so, from the moment that you become a Christian, God gives you the permanent abiding presence of His Spirit to rely on to help you live your life the way He wants you to live it. And so, Again, the question is, well, why did God give the Holy Spirit to us? What does the Holy Spirit help us do as Christians? What, what role does he play in our lives? And, and I mentioned several of those roles last week, and just reminding you, he convicts us, he teaches us, he empowers us to witness, he helps us mortify sin, he guides us, he directs us, he assures us that we're saved, he intercedes for us, he gifts us to serve, he sanctifies us. And so just that short list... Tells us that the Holy Spirit is involved in every aspect of our lives as Christians. There's nothing that we can do by ourselves in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit's help for everything. And the way we get the Spirit's help is by being filled by Him. That's the key role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives as Christians. He fills us. Most of these other things can't happen unless we are Spirit-filled. And again, before we are saved, the Holy Spirit convicts us, He regenerates us, He baptizes us, He indwells us, He seals us, He, He gifts us to serve. All that happens automatically without us doing anything, right? But the rest of these things only happen if and when He fills us. And in order to, to, to learn God's word as we study and to pray and to mortify sin and to witness and to gain guidance and, and to have assurance and to serve and to be sanctified, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. All these things hinge on whether or not we're filled with the Spirit. And that's why it's so crucial that we be filled with the Spirit. And, and again, if. I spent a lot of time when we went through the the book of Acts, teaching through the book of Acts several years ago, in explaining that the book of Acts is, is what's often ripped out of context and applied to us today, where we need to keep in mind that this is more descriptive here in the book of Acts than it is prescriptive. Big difference there. In other words, it's just describing right what happened in that initial moment when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost, that, that, that this, the fire came, the wind came. There was this phenomenal experience, right? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues, which were actual languages, right? This was just this is more descriptive of this is what happened. It's not prescriptive like this is what you should be coming to church every Sunday and hope is going to happen in your worship service. Does that make sense? This was part of the history of the church. This was the inauguration of the church. This was a one-time event that was never intended to be repeated. Um, Pentecost happened once, right? And, and we shouldn't be coming to church expecting that to happen. So you say, well, well, then what, what should we be coming to church expecting? Well, that's where Ephesians chapter 5 comes in helpful because this is not just descriptive. This is prescriptive. This is okay. This is what should be happening in every believer's life all the time. And so we have to separate again, it's how you interpret the scriptures in, in the difference between narrative text, which is the book of Acts, it's just a historical narrative, and, and then uh, what, what we, we called a letter or an epistle here, which, is, which was intended to give instruction, right? And direction. And so with all that, let's look again here at Ephesians 5.18, and and, and Paul here commands believers in Ephesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he gives a description of what a Spirit-filled person looks like and acts like. And so what we're gonna see here uh, this morning and next week is, is Paul basically answering three important questions about the filling of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we see the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Number two, we're gonna look at the conditions. How do we get filled with the Spirit? And we're gonna use some other texts to, to uh, bring, bring to bear on this text. And then finally, we're gonna see the consequences of, of how do you know you're filled with the Spirit, okay? And if you uh, missed an outline in the back when you came in, you can grab that as you leave because this is all written out there for you so you don't have to try to write it all down. Um, but let's, this morning, let's just look at the, the command, the command here in, in verse 18, and, and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Notice the text says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, typically, when we talk about something being filled, right, we get the, the picture of pouring or shoveling something into a container until it's filled, right, right? you're going to fill something, you're going to put something in it. That's not what Paul had in mind here. He wasn't talking about having the Holy Spirit pour himself into us, physically entering our body. He is talking about the Holy Spirit having complete control over us. And I think that's the simplest way to understand the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I say that because... You know this to be true, that it's very common today to hear messages or songs about getting more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You ever heard a message about that? You ever heard a song that talks about that, where they're begging the Spirit, we want more of you, right? That's very common, okay? Now listen carefully, because I don't want you to be confused or frustrated by what I'm saying here, okay? The Bible teaches that when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, not just part of Him, but... All of him. We don't receive the Holy Spirit in increments. Jesus didn't set up on an installment plan with the disciples, right? That you're going to get a little bit at Pentecost and a little bit more later and a little bit more later, right? You don't don't just get more and more as time goes on or as you do certain things, right? If you're more obedient, then you're more filled, that, that kind of thing. No. If you're a Christian, you possess the Spirit in all of its fullness, in other words, you've got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get, okay? You can't get any more of the Holy Spirit, but, you ready? He can get more of you. He can get more of you. And that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's giving the Holy Spirit more and more control of our lives. It's, it's yielding. It's, it's allowing Him to dominate and influence every part of our lives, our mind, our will, our emotions. And we have an expression in, our, in the English language, we refer to people as being filled with anger or filled with hatred or filled with bitterness or I was filled with fear or I was filled with sorrow, I was filled with joy, right? But what we mean by that is that we're totally under the control of these things, we're totally under control of fear or bitterness or joy or whatever, or sorrow or anger. In other words, our entire being is dominated and consumed by that emotion, and so in the same way, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our entire being should be dominated, should be controlled by the Spirit. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting more of us. Okay, Let me say that again. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more of Him, but Him getting more of us. And so the question you need to ask yourself this morning is, does the Spirit have all of you? Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Are you completely yielded? Is every area in your life completely yielded to the Holy Spirit? I think it's interesting here the comparison or the contrast that that Paul makes here when he says, "Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." I think there's some insight here, some some uh, deeper understanding here of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If you if you compare, you know, here the, the, look at the comparison that Paul drew between being filled with the Spirit being drunk with wine. And, and, and first of all, when we read that, in our context, do not get drunk with wine, we immediately think that Paul must have been talking about getting drunk at a party or at a bar. But that's not what he was, I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote this text. And this is where historical context is very important, and, and what Paul was doing here as he was writing to the people of Ephesus, the, the believers in Ephesus, he was confronting Those who made it a habit of getting drunk at religious celebrations. Like, what are you talking about? Well, the Ephesians had been saved out of and were still surrounded by the paganism and pagan religions and they worshiped gods like Diana who was a sex goddess, and, and the temple of Diana was really one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was right there in Ephesus, and people would come from all over the known world to worship this sex goddess, Diana, and they also worshipped Dionysius, who was the god of wine. Now, you can just put those two things together and imagine what kind of worship services they were having, okay? If, they, if those were the gods that they were worshipping, the god of sex and the god of wine, you guessed it, Right? that in order to achieve oneness with these gods, they took part in these wild, drunken orgies. And they believed at the peak of these ecstatic emotional experiences, Dionysius would fill them and control them and give them special powers and abilities. I think it's very interesting that when you consider the more extreme elements of the charismatic Pentecostal movement, they're simply mimicking these pagan religious ceremonies. Not that they're drinking and having sex, I'm not saying that, right? But they're trying to reach this higher spiritual plane by some wild ecstatic worship experience. They're trying to get kind of up here somewhere in this this higher realm. But beyond this historical contrast with the pagan rituals of Paul's day, I think there are some practical contrasts between what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, what it looks like to be drunk with wine. When, when a person is, is drunk, we refer to them as being under the influence, right? They're under the influence of alcohol, which means they're under the control of alcohol, right? And, and alcohol controls the way you think, it controls the way you talk, it controls the way you act, I mean just think about some of the common characteristics of drunk people, right? They're not ashamed to express themselves, they're very expressive, right? Uh, they can't hide what's happening in their lives. They begin to just kind of talk about stuff, and you're like, la, 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 I don't want to hear that, right? Some things come out when someone's drunk. They wouldn't say in their normal frame of mind, but they, they, they're inebriated, and so they let their guard down, and so they say things, and, and, and they, make, they oftentimes make a fool of themselves, and, 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 and oftentimes they sing, right? Uh, they're they're, they're, they're kind of happy, if you will, uh, and they're very friendly, uh, it's no wonder why they you know the world says that bars are the friendliest place in town. So let's think about that in comparison to when a believer is under the influence of the spirit, under the spirit's control. Might there be similar characteristics, And I don't mean like the guy I was talking about last week that got up here and, you know acted like he was drunk in the pulpit, right? and looked like a drunk person. I don't think that's the, the, the analogy, the connection at all, of, or the parallel, parallel that Paul was wanting to imply here at all. But how about this? If you're under the control or under the influence of the Spirit, you're not ashamed to witness. You can't hide what God is doing in your life. I mean, you just come out and say things to people, right, you know, about the, the goodness of the Lord. You're willing to be a fool for Christ, you have a song in your heart, and listen, if you go to a truly Spirit-filled church, it should be the friendliest place in town, right? Because people are gracious and kind and loving, and they're, they're exempt, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And so if this is a Spirit-filled church, this should be a lot friendlier place than a bar. I think that's the way we should be when we're under the control of the Spirit, I think it's also helpful to look a little bit into the Greek grammar here, which this is a good example of how knowing a little bit of Greek grammar helps us accurately interpret and, and apply certain verses in the Bible. And so we're looking at the command here when he says, do not get drunk with wine but be, for that dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That expression there, be filled, is what's called a plural present passive imperative now don't tune me out now okay let me show you how practical that is okay that this is a plural present passive imperative okay first of all it's an imperative which we mean it's a what it's a command being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just a good suggestion. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a helpful hint for living the Christian life. It's not optional. It's not an added extra. I mean, you think about when you go to buy a car. I've never been in that position where I went out and bought a new car, right? It seems like wiser to go buy a used car. But, but those of you that have bought a new car, you have these options, I mean, how cool is that? You look on, you look on uh, Auto Trader. you just take what they got, right? But uh, when you go to the dealer, you got options. And so there's certain optional features on a car, and you can choose, hey, I want power windows. I don't want to have to do this all the time. And power door locks, and, 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 and I want a CD player, and I want a, a Bluetooth or a sunroof, or I want a leather interior, right? And, and now, can you still drive your car without all those things? Without leather seats, without a Bluetooth, without all that stuff? So yeah, Absolutely. Why? Because none of these things have to do with the control of the car. But there are certain things that you must have that are not listed as extras. They're they're standard items like an engine. Like you could say option. Would you like an engine? Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Or how about tires? Do you want tires? Or how about brakes? Nah, I don't need brakes. You know, that'll just slow me down. Um, How about a steering wheel? Do you want a steering wheel? Yeah, I think that might be important, right? Why? Without these things, you can't keep the car under control. You can't drive it. In the same way, you can't live the Christian life without the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit, then all you can do is sit there dead in the middle of the road. You you won't go anywhere spiritually. And so we need to understand that this is an imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. Like, well, today I'm not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, why don't you just take the engine out of your car or take the wheels off or just disconnect the steering wheel or whatever, right? You're not going anywhere without the, spirit, without the filling of the Spirit. So it's, it's an imperative, number one. Number two, it's passive. It's passive, which, which, which what that means is it's something that's done to us or happens to us. Uh, if you want to go back to junior high grammar class, right, this is how the teacher taught us, I hit the ball, that's active, you're hitting it, or the ball was hit, that's passive, right? And so the point is, we can't fill ourselves, we must let the Holy Spirit fill and control us, we simply need to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit's control. So it's not, this is not something that you need to walk out of here going, I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to really, I want to fill, I you know, Go on, fill, me. go fill me. It's it's nothing you can do, right? This is a passive command. It's something that the Spirit of God does to you as you yield yourself to his control. So it's an imperative. It's a passive imperative, but it's also a present passive imperative. In other words, this is used when he says, be filled, right? This is used to describe a continuous Habitual activity as opposed to a one time event. In other words, you could say, but keep being filled with the Spirit. That's the, that's the intent of what Paul was saying here. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an occasional thing. It's it's not something that happens one time in our lives or or every once in a while. It it needs to be an ongoing, never-ending process. We need to keep being filled again and again every day, every moment of every day, every new trial, every new temptation, every new challenge, every new decision requires a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens how many times? Once, at the moment of our salvation, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, when we're baptized by the Spirit into Christ. That happens one time, and we shouldn't be seeking, right, to be baptized ever again by the Holy Spirit. But we do need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so it's a imperative, it's a passive imperative, it's a present passive imperative, and it is a plural present passive imperative. Imperative. In other words, this is a command that Paul was giving to every, not just everybody in the church in Ephesus, but to every believer, every Christian who would ever live. This, this is not just for a select few. This is not just for the really super spiritual saints, right, that, that raised your hands this morning like, yeah, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. You bet I am. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, right? It's not just for the spirit ultra-spiritual people, right? This is for every believer. It's for all of us. All of us have the, the responsibility to daily yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't, we're in sin because we're disobeying a clear command of Scripture. It's a sin not to be under the Spirit's control. And if we're not being controlled by the Spirit, there's only one other option. We're being controlled by what? The flesh, right? I mean, there's, there's no in between. At any given point in your life, you're either in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. There's no Spirit, flesh, I'm sort of, kind of, no, you're either in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. And, and, and that can change fast, can't it? I can step out of this pulpit feeling very much in the Spirit, right, being used by the Spirit, right, and jump in my car and go home and Kelly says something uh, that I don't appreciate or the kids do something I don't appreciate and I could immediately get in the flesh. And I could snap back at my wife, I could speak in anger towards my, right? So this is a constant thing that, that we need to be under the Spirit's control. Well, being filled with the Holy Spirit can be compared to this old work love of mine. This, this has been around a long time. I've had this, I think, virtually since I moved here to Texas, close to 15 years. Um, and uh, this thing, right, it's done a lot of work around our house. But this old glove, right, you can't boast or brag about what it's done. You can't take credit for the work that it's done, right? It could have never done any of this by itself. In order for it to work, it must be what? Filled, filled, and controlled by my hand, right? And apart from the filling and controlling of my hand, this is what? It's, it's a useless glove. It lays powerless in my garage, and spiders make homes in it. That's why I always shake it out before I use it. But the point is, it's the same for you and I as Christians, That we lie powerless, we lie useless apart from the Spirit's control. But when the Spirit, right, fills us and controls us, we can accomplish a lot of great things. And we can't brag or boast or take credit for anything that the Spirit of God does through us. Why? Because we know that the Spirit gets all the glory, for apart from His filling, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. There was a song that we used to sing years ago here. Called teach me to live and I loved one uh, verse it went like this my life is all yours to shape as you will I'll be the glove for your hand to fill I want to be pleasing to you may it be that you might be glorified somehow in me I hope that's your prayer today and every day right Lord that I would be your glove I want to be a glove for your hand to fill that you might use me to do great and many things for your honor and your glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just this um, foundational verse in your word that that helps us um, stay off and away from some of the crazy things that are out there that people are trying to accomplish and achieve in the name of the Holy Spirit. And thank you for just making it simple and um, uncomplicated, and, and yet, at the same time, not easy. <laughs> and uh, Lord, we know that, that uh, our tendency is to live in the flesh and to let our flesh control what we think and what we do and what we say. But we know your will is for us to be filled and controlled by your spirit. And so I pray that this teaching this morning would be uh, truly life-changing for all of us, for those that maybe this is the first time they've ever been taught this, that this would just be a life-changer for them. Uh, for those of us maybe who have been taught this before, that this would just be a great reminder and it would just stir us up by way of reminder, or that we would be live more spirit-filled lives uh, this next week. For your glory, we pray. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here who has yet to be uh, convicted by the Spirit and 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 regenerated by your spirit and baptized by your spirit and indwelled by your spirit, Lord, that this, this teaching about the Holy Spirit would intrigue them and would draw them, Lord, to Christ, that they would want to have this help, Lord, that they feel so helpless living their lives and just continually spinning their wheels and not being able to accomplish anything or to overcome some of their bad habits or other things like that, that they would just recognize they, they will never be able to do it in their own strength. They need your spirit. And in order to have your spirit, they need Christ. And so that they would come to Christ today, we pray in his name. Amen.